Um, if you've been listening or watching online or paying attention the last few weeks, you notice that we've been talking about uh, some core fundamentals, some things that we really value, like reading your Bible and prayer and fundamentals that are going to help you in your walk with God. And these are things that are essential that you desperately have to have and be good at if you're going to grow spiritually and if you're going to be a Christian for the long haul. Because here's the reality. So even just statistically speaking, a large majority of you may not have a relationship with God five to ten years from now. And I mentioned this a while back. There's this, this thing going on right now that you're seeing or becoming more popular about people that are deconstructing their faith, that, that are starting to break apart why they believe what they believe. And I, I talked about this with some of our young adults, and a lot of people are walking away from God completely because as they start to pull away their, their faith, they realize there's no substance to it. Now, that doesn't mean that God's not real. That just means their faith was built on, on something weak. It was built on the fact that they had to go to church, that somebody made them. They never made it their own. They never had their own relationship. They never built on that relationship. They didn't know how to read their Bible. They didn't know how to pray. Or maybe they did, and they just didn't care to do it. So now when they pull apart, they're like, oh, this relationship is shallow. And it's like, yeah, but God didn't make it shallow. You did. And so I'm trying to emphasize these things because my heart's desire is not just that you would follow God now, but that you would follow God all the days to come, that generations after you will know the Lord the way you do, and that that generation and that generation, until the Lord comes, that we would be able to pass that along and be who God has called us to be in the way that God has called us to be that. But as I'm thinking about that, I, I, I was kind of going into this one next phase, and, and it's kind of a, a sum up of all of it. It's, and it's this thought that came in my heart. Being a Christian or becoming a Christian, it's easy. Jesus made it easy, right? The Bible says that Jesus, when he died on the cross and he resurrected, he conquered death. He paid the ultimate price for our sin because the Bible says that the penalty for sin is death. So Jesus paid that penalty so you and I don't have to. And because he paid the bill, we get to eat for free. So the Bible says that all we need to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you are saved. Meaning you can have now an eternal relationship with God. You get heaven, you get all the pluses and, and everything that comes along with this amazing relationship with God. But the reality is you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do jumping jacks. You don't have to write a bunch of things. You don't have to, you know, write a book on all your apologies. You just have to believe and confess. And if you do that, you're saved. That's easy. The problem is we, we just, we stop there a lot of times and there's more to that because it's easy to become a Christian or, or the way I wrote it down, uh, becoming a Christian, it only requires faith, but becoming a disciple requires sacrifice. There's a lot of Christians, quote unquote, not a lot of disciples. A disciple is not just a Christian. A disciple is a dedicated, devoted follower of Christ. And even in Jesus' day, he had many disciples, many followers, but every now and then he'd give a little bit of a tough teaching and they would completely walk away from him because it was too much for them to bear. Anyone can become a Christian. That door is open to anyone. But very few choose to be a disciple. And I think that's the difference between longevity in your faith and just something you did when you were in high school because your friend brought you to a youth group. It's the difference between really growing in your relationship with Christ and really getting close to Christ and, or just showing up to church and listening for a few minutes, going home and living the rest of your life the way you want to. If I can give another illustration, it's like, hey, going to school is easy. 
Matter of fact, for, for most of us, we all have access to free education in the United States, at least from kindergarten through high school. So that's easy. You just got to show up. And, and even easier now, you just got to log on half the time, right? I was laughing. Some of y'all, I could not believe you were failing the class that all you had to do was log in on. Like, you just can't even wake up and log in. Like, they, they are desperately passing you right now. Like, I am scared for how poorly some of you are going to read in the future. But they are desperately passing you when all you got to do is log on. So going to school is easy. Getting educated, though, is hard. Because a lot of people go to school and come out just as dumb. Because you actually got to work to get educated. You actually got to do your homework. You actually got to study. You actually got to take in what the teacher's trying to show you and apply it. You actually have to put work and effort to be educated. Because educated doesn't have to do anything with grades. Okay, some of you, you get educated. Maybe you don't do so good, so, so good with grades. You're not good at tests or you're not good with homework. I get that. But there are a lot of people who can do really good in school and never be educated because they memorize a couple facts, they write them down when they need to write them down, but they never applied an opportunity to learn how to be lifelong learners. And, and it's, again, it's easy because you have access to it, but just because you go to school doesn't mean you come out educated. Trust me, I know a lot of dumb people that passed high school. And I'm just like, they let you pass? And they say, yeah, no child left behind, baby. We got through. <laughs> but just because they passed the class doesn't mean they were educated. And so I'm saying the same thing comes to your faith. Just because you showed up here week in, week out, doesn't mean you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. It just means you got here. It just means you showed up. Maybe you liked a boy or a girl in the room. Maybe you thought P. Joey was fun. Maybe you enjoyed just being a part of the community and the small groups. And there's nothing wrong with that as a bonus. But if that's all you're ever here for, that's all you'll ever get. If you really want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who looks like, acts like, walks like Jesus, someone who is a close follower and connector of Jesus Christ, it's going to take sacrifice. As a matter of fact, Jesus repeats this phrase over and over again. All the Gospels give us a rendition of this one saying, and I want you to notice what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. <laughs> then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, or other translations say my disciple, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Here Jesus gives us the recipe for disciples. If you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, here's what it's going to take, right? Becoming a Christian, easy. Salvation, we can get that. But to go from that, to grow in that, to become a disciple, this is the recipe. I want to break down this recipe because I really want us to understand what it takes. There's a, another portion in the Gospels where Jesus kind of warns people. He says, hey, listen, if you want to be my follower, you have access to it, but count the cost first. He says, understand what it's going to cost you because you're going to have to pay it if you want to be that. You didn't have to pay for your sins to be forgiven, but there is a price to pay to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. So listen, I want you to look at the first thing. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, number one, you have to give up your own way. You have to give up your own way. Right off the bat, you lose half the people in the room with this one because we're stubborn. Because we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And so the, the moment you tell somebody, hey, you got to surrender, you got to give up your own way, they're like, no, nah, I'm good. I like my own way. Even though your own way has not worked for you, 
You're like, no, but, but I don't want to give up control. I, I don't want to be dominated by anybody. And I get that sentiment. It's what kept me out of gangs when I was a teenager. I was like, yo, I don't even like listening to my mom. I'm going to listen to you. You're a moron. Like, I don't want to be a part of your gang. I don't want to be a part of, make money for you. You're dumb. Get out of my face. Like, I get the sentiment that you want to be in control. But Jesus is saying this, listen, if you want to be my follower, you got to give up your own way. Let's think practically. If I'm leading you somewhere that you don't know where to go, and I'm like, all right, just follow me. But you decide to go your own way, that's not my fault. I told you to follow me. So if I'm like, hey, Peter, I got to go to the bathroom. Right, cool, I'll take you to the bathroom. I start walking that way. You start walking that way. You're going to pee in the corner because that's not where the bathroom is. I'm trying to lead you, but you'll only get there when you choose to follow. And following your own way is never going to lead you to God's way. And so if you want to be my disciple, you have to give up your own way. Listen, I love this quote by Walter Chartney. He says, as Christ struggled up Calvary's hill and bled upon it, his aim was to eradicate self-love and implement the love of God in the hearts of men. One can only increase as the other decreases. Your love for God can only increase as your love for self decreases. You cannot love God at the fullest when you're full of loving yourself only. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, don't love yourself, because in today's day and age, that's all anybody ever wants to tell you. Hey, self-love, you need to love yourself first. You can't love nobody else if you don't love yourself. Listen, I understand that. But here's what I'm saying. I can't love myself if I don't love the one who knows me better than me. Because I, it's too hard to love yourself sometimes. Because no one knows you as messed up as you do. No one knows the flaws that you have. No one is as insecure as you are. Think about it. Y'all ever been in the room and you feel like everybody's watching you? And the reality is nobody cares about you. <laughs> like nobody even noticed you walked in. Be like, I bet, they, I bet they're looking at my, yup, they're looking at my eye because it's a little lower than the other one. It's like, bro, you're wearing glasses. I can't even see your face. <laughs> they just can't keep staring at my teeth. You are literally wearing a mask, homie. No one sees your teeth. But we're insecure. Why? Because it's us. We know. So instead of trying really hard to love me, I'm going to try really hard to love the one who loved me first. And if I can learn to love him and see how someone as perfect as God can love me, then it's a lot easier to love me. So, so here he's saying, listen, uh, in order to, for your love of God to increase, in order for your love of men to increase, your love of self has to decrease. When Jesus was in the garden, and this is what you really got to understand about his sacrifice on the cross, at any point, Jesus could have just said, I quit. Forget about it. I'm not doing it. it he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man, which meant he felt everything, all the physical and all the emotional things that somebody goes through in a moment where they know they're about to be captured, beaten, crucified, dragged through the street, put up naked to die in front of everyone. Yeah, that's scary. And in that moment, the Bible tells us that he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's having this time where he's praying to the Lord and there's this desperation and fear and everything is welling up in him. And then listen to what it says. Part of his prayer was, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Let me just pause there. This is an honest request. Saying if there's any other way, I don't want to go through this. Okay, it's not like Jesus hopped and skipped to the cross. It's not like this is some grand thing because he didn't feel anything because he's God. He felt the fullness of all of it. And there was a little bit of hesitation there. And so he asked, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. 
Then he goes, yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Listen, there's plenty of times in life where you're going to be going through stuff that's going to cause suffering. And you might ask God, God, man, if you're willing, take this away from me. I don't want to have to go through this. And there may be times where God does take it away because he doesn't want you to go through it. But if there is an occasion where God is leading me into this suffering, I want his will to be done, not mine. Because I know if God's the one that's leading me into this suffering, God is the one that is going to strengthen me through it. God's the one that's going to bring me through it. God's the one that's going to put purpose in the suffering so that it's not in vain. God's going to use it for blessing somebody else. I understand that if I'm willing to go through it and trust in the Lord, his plan is always going to be better than my plan. So I don't want to go my way because his ways are so much better. The Bible says my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Homie, I am so far above you, it's not even funny. I am so far beyond you that you can never comprehend. And so I trust in the Lord. It's it's going from being self-centered to other-centered. From removing this idea of your own self-control and what you want to do and who you want to be and allowing the Lord to lead you in that. Because the problem, honestly, we have in this world, or one of the biggest ones, is when all the chips are down, what people care about most is self-preservation taking care of themselves. We saw it in the pandemic. People didn't care about nobody else. They cared about themselves. They cared about taking care of me. I don't care if you starve. I don't care if you're sick. I don't care if you die. As long as me and my family are all right, cool. And that just adds to suffering. But when you really learn to give up your own way, and again, a lot of it is not crazy, but if God is calling you to do something, are you going to do it your way or are you going to do it his way? Some of you, God has called you to, to ministry, and that's great. But are you willing to do it? Are you willing to be a disciple, to have enough discipline to follow through with that? Some of you, God has called you to a specific purpose and a specific plan. Maybe God's called you to a profession and you're talking yourself out of it because you think, I I don't have enough money, I'm not smart enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not that enough. Well, if God called you to it, you don't think God will supply everything you need for it? You don't think God will make a way in that situation if it's him who called you to it? So when you want to be a follower of Christ, you can't follow him if you're going your own way. The only way you can follow him is you give up your way and you decide to follow his way. But then I love what he says. He says, those of you who want to be my disciple, you must give up your own way. And then he says, take up your cross daily. Let me just tell you something about that because I think it's interesting that he he made a point to say daily. Now, to the people he's talking to, they understand what he means when he says take up your cross. This wasn't foreign to them. Because one of the things that the Romans were great at was torture. They were experts at human torture and human suffering. And one of the worst ways that they would torture or execute somebody was crucifixion, hanging them on a cross uh, until they eventually, what actually killed you wasn't, you know, all the nails in your arms and feet. It was asphyxiation. Um, You couldn't hold yourself up anymore. You'd lose all that strength. You would double over. You couldn't breathe. And eventually you would suffocate to death. That's how somebody died on the cross. And it would take hours. It was agonizing. It was humiliating. It was horrible. And on top of all that, they made you carry the cross up to the hill where they were going to make you hang. So they would literally put this big old block of wood on your shoulder and make you carry your own torture device, which adds another level of psychological torture. So it's like, hey, I'm going to shoot you in the head. By the way, carry the gun over to me. 
And it's like, dude, seriously, you're going to make me carry my own murder weapon? And yet, that's what happens. So when Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross daily. What that means is every day you have to choose to kill your flesh, to die to yourself, to say it's not about what I want, but what God wants. And I love that he says daily, emphasis on daily. Because here's the truth, being consistently good is better than being occasionally great. Some of you are great Christians every now and then. Maybe by like third day of camp, second day of convention, third session at uh, uh, retreat, you know, maybe during a big event. Like there's occasions where spiritually you're killing it, where you're the best you've ever been. And then there's the other 350 days of the year where hit or miss. And I love that the Bible says, hey, listen, if you want to be my disciple, that has to be a daily decision. That's not a, a choice you make because the music was really loud and, and the pastor was screaming and everything was spitting and all of a sudden you're like feeling these butterflies in your stomach. You're like, I need to follow Jesus. That's easy in that moment. They're hyping you up. But can you follow Jesus when the band's not playing anymore, when the pastor's not preaching anymore, when you're alone in your room and your brother or sister's annoying you? with the room next door. Can you still choose to follow Jesus? I love what Joshua says. In the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, he's confronting these people that are kind of being inconsistent. They're being wishy-washy on, on whether they will or they won't follow God. You know, some of them want to follow foreign gods. Some of them want to follow the Lord. And so Joshua calls them out. And Joshua says this, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites and those land that you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, at the end of the day, all of us got to make a choice. There is no halfway in, halfway out. Jesus said it, and the Bible says it itself in Revelation, I'd rather you be hot or cold, lukewarm, halfway, makes me want to vomit. I spit that out of my mouth. God is literally made sick by those of you who play around with it. He's literally saying, hey, listen, either you are all in or you're all out. And we're no different in our relationships, right? Who wants to date someone who kind of halfway dates you? Hey, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm all yours. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, though, I got a few other options. Right? It's like, no, no. Some of you are like, oh, man, at least I get a half the time. <laughs> but the reality is, you know, nobody wants that part-time relationship, and yet we expect God to do that. God, listen, you got Thursday nights, you got Sunday mornings. Bro, those are prime scheduled days. But, you know, Friday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, I got to do my thing. I'm busy. I mean, you know, it's, it's the highlight of my life. I'm, I'm a teenager. And God's like, you know, I didn't die halfway on the cross. I didn't go halfway up Calvary. I didn't halfway resurrect. I didn't halfway suffer. I went fully in so that you could go fully in. All of me for all of you. That equivalent exchange is a beautiful thing if you're willing to do it. So why do we shortchange God? Because we only do it sometimes instead of every day. And again, it's everyday choosing to, to die to your flesh. That's not going to mean that every day you're perfect. 
That's not going to mean that you don't mess up, that you don't struggle. But it does mean that every day you're going to wake up and make a choice. Today, I choose to follow the Lord. And I'll tell you just from someone who's been married, my wife and I will be married for eight years this this, uh, August. Every day, I choose to be her husband. Every day, I choose to be my daughter's father. What does that mean? That means I make a conscious effort to play with my girls. Right now, my daughter's favorite game, the oldest one at least, uh, is bed. So she'll run up to me and she'll just say, bed? And that means let's go play on the bed. And I go and I throw her on the bed and, and, I, and we wrestle and I hit her with a pillow and it's just, it's my favorite game. And she loves it. She ran in, Bobby, bed. And I'll be in the middle of eating. I'm like, baby, after I eat, bed. I'm like, baby, after I eat, bed. Okay, fine, bed. <laughs> Why? Because I'm, I'm choosing to be her father because it wasn't enough that I fathered her I have to raise her and be her father every day. So there are days that I'm tired, guys, and I don't want to do it, but I do it. There are days that I don't, I don't want to say the things I, wanted, I should say to my wife. It's just I'm exhausted or I've had a long day, and I'm just like, hey, listen, I need to let you know I love you. Why? Because I'm choosing you today to be your husband. And there are days I don't want to pray. There are days I don't want to read. I hate reading, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. I hate reading. I hate it. Audio Bibles are dope, Okay. But there are days I don't feel like it. But I'm not led by my feelings. I'm led by the Lord. And so I choose to be a good disciple because I have to do that every day. Does that make sense? Are you feeling me, guys? So not only is it a daily thing, but I like that he says, uh, choose to follow daily. Pick up your cross daily. And, And the cross is heavy, but I want you to understand something. The cross is too heavy to carry alone. If you read in in the Gospels, when Jesus was carrying his cross, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, it says, along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Syrian, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. There was a moment where Jesus, because he had been beaten, bruised, and, and ripped to shreds, the cross became too heavy, and he kept falling down, so they ordered one of those guys on the side, Simon, to come and carry the cross for him. What am I saying? I'm saying that's the purpose of church. That's why we come together every week. Because when you're tired, I can help you carry your cross. And when I'm tired, you can help me carry my cross. That we help each other. That we carry each other's burdens. That we help each other out. The last couple of days, I got to hang out with some really good pastor friends of mine. And we just had some great time of prayer and just challenging each other and being transparent and open. And even in the car, just, hey, can we just pray? And we're just having this prayer meeting in the car. And these are just men and women that I've surrounded myself with that are going to help me carry the cross. And I'll help them carry the cross. And together, we'll do what God has called us to do because we never meant to do this whole thing alone. This is why we got small groups coming up next month because we want to create an environment where you guys can build relationships with each other where you can, yes, have fun and act silly and, and build relationships because that's a part of building relationships. You know, nobody builds a relationship with somebody serious 24-7. You got to be able to loosen up and have a good time. But it's having those moments so that when you need someone to carry your cross, when you need to lean on somebody and say, man, my life is heavy right now. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. The men and women of God will come alongside you and say, hey, let me help you carry that. Let me intercede for you in prayer. Let me send you some scripture that I think the Lord sent to my heart to encourage you. Let me just be a reminder to you that people love you and that God loves you. I love that Jesus had somebody help him carry the cross because he has given us people, not only people, but himself to help us carry our cross. 
So if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and then he says, follow me. Now that follow me is important because of where Jesus is leading you. When Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, what is he leading you to? He's leading you to self-denial. He's leading you to death, to death to your flesh. God is leading us to the crucifixion of flesh. Now, let me clarify what I mean by flesh. There's your spirit and there's your flesh. Your spirit is that part on the inside of you, that part of your soul that just connects to God, that part that knows the Lord is listening. Your flesh is everything about your physical body that craves things that are opposite of the spirit. Your flesh is what wants to sin. Your flesh is what wants to do things you know you're not supposed to do. And the Bible reminds us that the flesh and the spirit are in constant conflict with one another. That's why a lot of times it's like Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And we struggle with that, right? It's like, man, no, I, I want to live for God on the inside. I just keep doing dumb things. And the dumb things I don't want to do, those are the things I keep doing. And so it's a hard struggle, and that's a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. But here's what happens. If you feed the spirit and starve the flesh, one grows and the other dies. But if you feed your flesh, meaning you entertain the things that the flesh wants to do, don't be surprised that spiritually you're dying. Because now your flesh has gotten bigger. Your flesh has gotten stronger. Why? Because you nurture it. You feed it. So every time you, you feed into that sin, every time you give in to the desires of your flesh, you are making it stronger and bigger, and you are making your spirit weaker and smaller. Carrying your cross, it's a one-way journey. There is no coming back. When Jesus carried his cross, when, whenever anyone was carrying their cross to a crucifixion, they knew, I'm not coming back from this. I'm walking to my death. And what, what it's saying here is if you can walk yourself and your flesh to death, then you'll stop returning to it. That's how, that's how you get over some of these sins that you're constantly struggling with is you're wounding it, but you're not killing it. You got to kill the flesh. You got to sacrifice that thing by bringing it to the Lord, by, by confessing your sin, by, by removing things that are causing you to move into that area. Listen, Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, right? Not his way. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. If Jesus Christ could do that, who do you think you are to say you don't have to? If Jesus was willing to do it and set the example, then why is it so hard for us to follow the blueprint? The truth is it's not easy and we don't want to do it. And P. Jason, if you can help me out a little bit. But we can't afford to let the flesh destroy the spirit. I know for myself, by the grace of God, I've been able to do this for a long time. Actually, today I ran into a friend of mine's wife at Costco in the morning when I was doing some grocery shopping. And I hadn't really seen her in years. And um, I ran into her. I was like, hey, are you um, Esteban's wife? And she's like, oh, yeah, I thought I recognized you. Uh, pastor Joey. I was like, yeah. She said, are you, are you still a pastor? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, and I remember saying, yeah. 
I don't plan to have a retirement plan. <laughs> uh, like, this is who I'm going to be, God willing, to the day I die. And she said, yeah, that's good because, you know, just a lot of pastors, they don't make it. I go, I pray to God I finish. And that's the thing. The greatest thing in this marathon is not how fast you run it. It's that you finish it. The worst thing that can happen is, is to live an unfinished walk with God. And the truth is, most of us, we don't lose, we quit. We give up. We walk away because it's too hard. I was talking to a friend of mine this weekend. <clears throat> I was in the car with two guys who run. How weird is that? And so I'm like, tell me about this run thing. What's that like? <laughs> and one of them mentioned how he had ran a marathon. And I said, at what mile did you hit the wall? In, in marathon running, there's this thing called a wall. It's a figure of speech. And it's the point in the race where your entire body starts to quit and say, we're done. Where everything in your physical body literally starts to shut down and quit on you. Your legs don't want to move anymore. Your lungs don't want to move anymore. Like your whole body, everything in your body is screaming, why are you doing this? Stop it. And so for a lot of people, it happens around midway. And he said it happened around, you know, it's a 26 plus mile race. For him, it happened around mile 16. He said it lasts about three, four miles. I go, was it bad? He goes, it was the absolute worst. It was the worst. The funny thing is with, with hitting the wall, there's only one cure. You just got to run through it. Literally, it has to be your spirit over your flesh. That no matter what my body is saying, I will not stop putting one foot in front of the other. I'm going to finish what I started. And that's the greatest thing you could ever do is to finish the race that has been laid out for you. And in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself over for me. What's he saying? He's saying, this isn't about me anymore. I don't live anymore but Christ lives in me. And so I run this race, not because of Joey Silva, but because I represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And again, talking about races, it just reminds me of Olympic marathon runners. They don't run for the name on the back of the jersey, they run for the name of the country on the front. They represent something bigger than themselves and so they don't quit. Even if they end up in last place, even if they don't medal, if they don't get gold, silver, or bronze, the worst thing they can do is not finish. So we get ready to close. This is more of a challenge for you. My challenge for you is that you do everything you can do to go beyond just a Christian and decide to be a disciple. And it's not going to be easy. Your flesh is going to want to quit. It's hard when not everybody else is doing it. It's hard when all your friends decide flesh over spirit. It's hard when sometimes it feels like you're the only one that's trying. But I don't run the race for you. 
I run the race because I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And there's some people that are running the race behind me who started a little bit later who are encouraged when they see my back. And if I stop, they might stop. So I got to keep going because there's somebody following my path. And I'm following the path of believers that have come before me. I can't afford to quit. I got way too many of you that like it or not are going to follow the footsteps that I lead in. And I love that. I really do. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to close. I'm going to ask you to just right where you're at, bow your head and close your eyes. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus would come across men and he would say to them, follow me. And they would follow up with an excuse. Yeah, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus like, let the dead bury themselves. Yeah, I'll follow you, but let me go finish this work I'm doing. Hey, there'll always be work. You can come up with all the excuses you want, but here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just sit there and wait. He keeps moving. Because you're supposed to follow him. He's not following you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm gonna talk to two people. First, to those of you in this room who've never made a decision to even be a Christian. And man, I'm sorry if this felt like a harsh thing because like I said in the beginning, having a relationship with God, that part is easy. And really being a disciple becomes easier because of the relationship with Christ. But if you're here and you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, you can't run your race because you still haven't even signed up for it. And this isn't about a religion. This isn't about coming here every week and going through six classes and getting a badge or anything like that. Saying yes to Jesus means that you say yes to beginning a relationship with the God who loves you more than you've ever loved yourself. And so if there's even one person in here, before I pray for everybody else, I just want to make sure I give you an opportunity. I'm not going to call you out. No one's looking at you. This is between you and the Lord. If you, throughout this message, have been feeling that tugging on your heart, that God is calling you to a relationship with him, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. All you got to do, just lift up your hand right where you're at, and I'll pray for you. Just if there's anyone here right where you're at, just go ahead and lift up your hand. Awesome. Then I'll assume the majority of us are either not ready for that or you've made a decision to be a Christian. So, for those of you who've made that decision, now it's time to make another one. Are you going to be a seat filler, somebody who shows up week in, week out, participates but never has a real relationship with God? Or are you going to choose today to follow the Lord? I love what Joshua said. Hey, man, you could follow the God of this world. You could follow the God of those people. You could follow all these foreign gods, but you better choose today whom you will follow. As for me and my family, we're going to follow the Lord. So listen, everybody here is going to make their own decision. But some of you need to finally decide one way or the other. Are you going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you going to keep playing around, walking in, walking out? And all this means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ means getting rid of all plan Bs. It is God or nothing. So again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, man, if you are choosing tonight to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want you to lift up your hand so I can pray with you. 
because we got to go in this together. We can't go alone. Come on, lift it up high. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. To take your walk serious, to have a real relationship with God. Leaders, lead by example. Come on, come on, come on. Lift it up, lift it up. Don't worry about your neighbors. Don't worry about everybody else. This is you and God. Heavenly Father, you see every hand that's raised. God, they have counted the cost in this moment. They've heard your word. And my hope is they've heard your voice. And Father, I pray, fill them with your spirit even now, God. Encourage them, embolden them, strengthen them. Allow them to do whatever it takes, God, to allow their flesh to die and their spirit to grow. Heavenly Father, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit because we know we can't do this alone. We know that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do anything to lead us into all truth, to get us from glory to glory. So God, we ask you, would you fill us afresh and anew in this room, God? And Lord, we pray, help us to deny ourselves, God. Help us to, to die to the flesh daily, Lord, to make a decision every day to pick up our cross and follow you, God. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, the number of us that are in this room that are making that decision, we would be there for one another. We would encourage one another. We would help carry each other's crosses, God. And Lord, I pray that we would be fully surrendered as we follow you wherever you take us, God, even to the things we're afraid to go through. We might be afraid to go through that, but we're not afraid of going through it with you. So Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, embolden us to be who you called us to be. We thank you for your word, Lord, for the challenge that it brings. Help us meet that challenge and finish the race that you set out before us. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said? Amen. Come on, would you give God a hand clap praise? Amen. Hey, listen, just a reminder as we close up, uh, we're going to have small groups in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're getting together with the leaders next week to plan and to prep for this next semester. And then hopefully the week after, we'll start small groups. So we'll be getting you guys all that info. Make sure that you guys are showing up, getting here. Encourage your leaders, encourage each other. And uh, just continue to pray for what we're planning, what we're putting together, that God's hand will be over that. Amen. Love you guys, and we will see you Sunday. It's my birthday on Sunday, so come say happy birthday to me. It's Dada's birthday, too. Birthday twin. Uh, so come and show us some love. We'd really appreciate that. God bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday.